Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Let's turn to 1 John 5. It's our second lesson from 1 John. We introduced it last week. In the letter, John writes four reasons. He says, these things I write unto you in one way or another. He says that reasons why he wrote the letter. And last time we looked at the reason so that your joy may be full. And we saw how uh, that joy should be full because of several things. God answers our prayers. We're in fellowship with God. We have the promise of eternal life and other things, even more than we could mention. But as Christians, our joy should be full. Let's, let's start again with 1 John 5.18. I think this is a good way to introduce this series in each one of these lessons. He says, we know, it's, it's, and he's summing this up, but we know that no one who is born of God sins. John is wanting us to know things for sure. As we said last time, uh, the church is always under attack. Christians are always under attack by Satan and all of his wickedness and evil and deceptions and trying to bring people down, turn them away from God, turn them to the world. These days are no different. Uh, there's all kinds of deception out there. He wants us, he wants his readers, and of course us then today, to know, to know certain things. No one who is born of God sins. Some of the commentators uh, you might read about this letter, they were thinking that John was addressing the Gnostic philosophy in which the body was evil and it didn't matter what you did in the body, but the spirit was good and holy. And so this is why John emphasizes some of these things, and it might well be true. But, you know, it's not okay to sin in the body, and we're going to talk about sin this morning. As you can see the title of the lesson, these things, hashtag not sin. John tweets out, we kind of use that thought, you know, in today's, today's world, we might tweet, he might tweet this out. Use the social media. He didn't have that available to him in those days, so he wrote a letter. But he wants God's people not to sin. But he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God. And that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Do you know that? You're in Christ, you're of God. If you're not in Christ, you're in the world. And the world is under the power of the evil one. The world likes to style itself as being good and righteous and altruistic. And yes, there's some good in the world. But it is not of God. And we know, we know that the Son of God has come. We know that. That's, 
Christians know that. He has come. It's not simply a faith thing. We know that by the evidence of history. He's come. Has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Jesus said in John 17, that's the essence of eternal life, to know God and to know his son, Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Not know about him, not know, you know, uh, he had 12 disciples and he healed lepers and the blind and was born in Bethlehem. You know, that's all important. But do you actually know him? Are you walking with him? Do you understand his heart? Is his heart your heart? We may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Christians should be the group of people on earth who know who they are, who know their future, and know what they're about more than any other group of people. We should know that. We should not be wavering. We should not be worrying. We should not be wandering around, searching for this and searching for that. We have our answers here. Get in the book, read the book, follow the words of the Lord. We know. This is what John is saying. We know. Don't be deceived by the world and the philosophies out there and all the, the books written by men and women. Don't be deceived. As we said last time, we talked about joy, that your joy may be full. This lesson is about these things I've written to you so that you may not sin. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. I know I have the little reference there to 1 John 1, 8 to 10. He talks there about we need to confess our sins, which means, first of all, you have to acknowledge your sins. If we don't acknowledge our sins, we can't confess our sins. And John says there, if we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. So we all have sin. So we all do. So that's something you need to search out in your own life, comparing it with the scriptures on a regular basis. Acknowledging before God your need for a Savior to confess those sins. But then he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. As we said, some of that Gnostic philosophy and maybe even other philosophies, of course, atheists don't care about sinning. They don't even understand sin. But the Gnostic, it was saying the body's evil, it doesn't matter what you do in the body. The spirit is holy inside. John's saying, no, wait a minute. That's not right. We should be striving not to sin. Sin needs to be taken seriously. It's not our favorite subject, I understand that. It's not my favorite subject. You know, we like to talk about the love of God, right? And forgiveness and eternal life and grace and those kinds of things. 
But those things only mean something when we recognize that we have sin and that through Christ we are forgiven of sin. As Mike prayed in his prayer, that he came so that we might be forgiven, as Rick talked about around the table. We have a problem, and it's sin. It needs to be taken care of. Sometimes we just view, view sin like it's a bad mark on a report card, you know? Well, I got an F or I got a D instead of getting an A or a B. But sin is much more serious than that. It's not a bad grade. It's a failure. It's when we leave things undone. It's when we fall short. It's when we uh, overstep and we uh, do something contrary to our calling as Christians. Sin causes great harm to the sinner, to those sinned against, to the name of Christ, and to his cause. I have this little story, you know, uh, even John talks in the, in the letter about the pride of life. And uh, we understand that, you know, arrogance and pride is a sin. Just, just to illustrate how sin makes us look foolish, there was this young lawyer. And he was pretty good. He was around the top of his class. And uh, he was doing well in a practice. And uh, he decided to move to a, a smaller city because he heard they didn't have very many lawyers there. And he wanted to make a name for himself. You know, I'm going to show these people what a real lawyer does. I'm really going to, you know, perform some good work there for them. And so, he, you know, he's kind of lifted up in his own mind. Well, he's there, he's got his new office, and he's got, you know, unpacking all of his files there and his lawyer library and everything and uh, getting everything set up in his office. And uh, here comes this guy walking up, up the sidewalk to the front door, and he's thinking, oh, here's my first client. I'm going to really impress him, you know. I'm going to make him see that I'm really a good lawyer and I, I have contacts and uh, he's really coming to the right guy. So he hurries up and gets behind the desk and picks up the phone and he's, he's talking on the phone and the guy comes through the door and he's standing there and he says, yeah, yeah, well you tell the Attorney General that uh, I'm going to meet with him on Tuesday and I don't agree with what he's doing and etc. blah, blah, blah. He goes on, he hangs up the phone, he says, all right, he says, uh, what can I do for you, sir? And he says, uh, the man says, I'm here to hook up the telephone. <laughs> Sin makes us look terrible, doesn't it? it? It makes us look awful, whatever we're talking about. Sin is not good. Sin is dangerous. Sin can open a door to the loss of a life, the destruction of a marriage, a whole family, a church. Sin can snowball and get totally out of hand. I think we probably all know someone who has taken the first step into something dangerous and how it's ruined their life. We probably all know somebody that way.
Finland is just like a, a whirlpool. It just sucks you in to destroy you. So John writes these things to you so that you may not sin. Let's finish those two verses there. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. You know, the point is, again, we will not be without sin. But we are to fight against sin. We are to resist the devil. We are to fight temptation. We are to to claw and scream and yell and pray and do whatever we can not to sin. You know, too often we, uh, we humans, even we Christians, choose the easy way. You know, which is easier? To give in and sin and ask for forgiveness or to fight tooth and nail against the temptation and choose to do what's right. It's almost always easier to give in and then turn around and the next day ask for forgiveness, right? We don't really fight the way we should to resist evil and choose to do what's right. But if we sin, we have an advocate. We have a lawyer. That's the word there. Word for lawyer, a counselor, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's not crooked, okay? He's not in this to make money or to make a name for himself because he truly cares about each one of us, and the cross proves that. He is the propitiation for our sin. He is the sacrifice. He is that which appeases God's wrath, his blood. We can be forgiven. But the challenge for us, you know, we need Jesus to be the sacrifice. We need his blood to cleanse us. But we also need Jesus to help us fight against sin and to choose to do what's right, don't we? That's the upfront thing. That's first. Lord, help me not to sin. Help me to do what's right in your eyes. That being said, what does sin look like? Let's go to 1 John 3. I'm just going to kind of work our way through this next section here. It's, it's all through the letter. This letter is so beautifully knit together with all of these thoughts. As I said last week, I encourage you to read this letter. Read it every week. Read it a couple times. See what John is saying. See what the Holy Spirit is saying to you in this letter. There are so many truths here. Most of us have a good idea about sin, but John writes in several places. He writes about not keeping commandments, misplaced love, lawlessness, in other words, acting as if there is no law of God, failing to love, not practicing righteousness. He talks about a lot of things, and I just picked out this section here. Verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin. Because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, 
nor the one who does not love his brother. Some of the older translations just have there, do not sin. But the idea contained in the word means to practice it. Because we see already in verse chapter 1, we all sin from time to time. We have the occasional lapse. Sometimes we are overcome. He is talking about practicing sin, living in a lifestyle of sin, continuing in a sin without repentance, without trying to change. That's what he's talking about. Someone uh, uh, regularly, you know, every Friday night they go out and get drunk. And then uh, Monday morning, Lord, forgive me. But then they repeat, Lord, forgive me. Uh, you're a habitual liar. That's the way you make your way through life. Little lies here and there making yourself look good. You're a greedy person. For you, life is about money and things and stuff, and that's the way you live, and that's the driving force in your life. He says there, no one who is born of God practices sin. Okay? So if there's something in your life that you know is wrong and you continually do it and you're not doing anything about it, what does that say? You're not trying to do the will of God. He even says you're not born of God. Because those who are born of God will not do that. We will strive, we will fight, we will find what we need to change, to get rid of that from our life. Yeah, it might take a while. You might fall back into it. You have to have a struggle with it. But you are working to get that out of your life and to do what's right. What else does he say there? Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Righteousness as defined by God. Doing the right things in every situation. Telling the truth. Loving your spouse. Rearing your children in the nurture and admonition of the world. If you have a job, you work hard. You're honest at, at what you do. You always tell the truth. You speak of the Lord. You acknowledge him in your life. You're a person of prayer. You're a person of scripture. You're a righteous person as defined by God. If you're not practicing that, if you're practicing selfishness, all right, and deception, and just choosing to live life on your own terms, what? You're not of God. You know, like, like I said, sin sometimes, we think, oh, it's just some little thing here. Oh, I happen to do this, I happen to do that. Sin is a big subject. God is serious about us living for Christ. And then, what does he say? Not loving one's brother. Not loving one's brother. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on, but you don't really have a concern for your brother. I think in context he's talking about brothers and sisters in the church, but we're also to love our neighbors ourselves, right? You know, this is about we don't live our lives in isolation. We don't just live our lives for ourselves. If we have the love of God in our hearts, we will truly be concerned about other people that are around us. We can't help it. 
because that's what the love of God does in you. It causes you to love other people. That's what love is, right? Love is about relationships. Verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's been from of old. That was under the law of Moses. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. You remember the story? It's back there in Genesis uh, chapter 4. In fact... Uh, now, this is not on your little list. I'm going to turn back there. So it's not a typo by my favorite secretary. Genesis chapter 4, 6. Remember, Abel had brought an acceptable sacrifice, and uh, Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable. Okay? And so he was rejected in that. So Cain got upset. In verse 5 it says, Cain became very angry, his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? And God's saying, you know, what's the, what's the point here? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? In other words, if you do the right thing, you, you'll feel good. But you didn't do the right thing. Your sacrifice was not acceptable. And if you do not do well... Watch. Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Some translations there say rule over it. God is telling Cain way back then just what John is telling his readers here. Do not sin when you are tempted you must master it. You must fight against You must do what's right, or it will get you. Of course, we know that Cain gave in. He killed his brother, and then he was uh, banished and brought shame upon him and the rest of his family. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about today how in a weird the weird thinking of today and the weird philosophies of today, how some people might say, or Cain might say, well, it's not fair. Because my brother Abel did the right thing and he made me feel bad. Right? It's just not right. I mean, he made me feel bad. He did the right thing and I did the wrong thing. That would be some people's twisted thinking today. Cain is challenged to master the sin. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Well, there's a verse we could have a couple lessons on that. Does the world hate you? We talked a little bit about that in the Bible class this morning. Christians in the Middle East are being driven out of their homes, beheaded, tortured, they're not liked. There are many people in this country today who do not like Christians. They don't. God says don't be surprised. 
Sometimes we're surprised at that where we should not be. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. That's a general statement. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods, sees his brother in need, closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? John's big on love. I think he's big on love because God is big on love. If you don't love, you abide in death. He's really saying if you don't love, you don't have God. If you don't love, you're the same as hating your brother or murdering your brother. This is serious and sobering stuff, isn't it? So many of us today, like I said, we just want to live our lives by ourselves. We want to go to church and we want to go home and just forget about everybody until we come back to church on Sunday again. It's not to be that way. That's not the love of God. When the love of God is missing, whether it's in a person or in a church, brothers go hungry, they go thirsty. They live in cardboard boxes under the bridge somewhere. They endure needless pain. They're lonely. They're excluded. They're forgotten. And they die alone. When the love of God is missing and a whole lot of other things. But when people have the love of God, brothers and sisters are fed, clothed, housed, included, befriended, and they thrive. They feel important and needed. And they're not alone. That's the love of God. That's why we see depicted in Scripture, and it's not just an image, but it, it's a family. The family of God. We become sons of God through Christ Jesus. And he promises to those who are true disciples, and they, sometimes when you choose the Lord, you lose your family. It happens, and it has happened and continues to happen. I read this from time to time about those in the Muslim countries. Some of the Muslims choose Christ. The gospel is that powerful. And they lose their family. And Jesus makes a promise. If you do that, you're going to receive other fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. And that is to be the church. The love of brothers and sisters when someone comes in and says, hey, my family cut me off because I chose Jesus. Come on in. We're your new family. That's what it's about. Escaping the world, the wickedness and evil of the world. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. Sometimes your family will hate you because you love Jesus and you believe in him. Don't be surprised.
How to avoid sinning. Easier said than done. These things I write to you that you may not sin. Two verses as we close out. First, chapter 229. If you know that he is righteous, meaning Christ Jesus, who lived in the body, lived in the flesh, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. If you're busy doing what's right, if you know what's right and you're pursuing what's right, you will not sin. And when I say that, I mean you will not practice sin. You will not get caught up in sin. But we have to make a conscious effort. We must have the knowledge. We must have the desire. We must want to do it. We must realize we are in this fight against evil. And the devil's trying to bring us down. So we have to make the conscious effort to do what's right. To be led by the Spirit of God and to have that knowledge uh, from the scriptures. We've got to learn it and live it and do it and make righteous living a way of life. We need to learn to love, to live like Jesus. To love it. That's the way I live. Righteously. And then, chapter 318. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Learn to love with the love of God. You know, our love, human love, is puny and sporadic. And, you know, sometimes it can just get cut off like that. You get mad at somebody and, boy, right? You don't even want to talk to them. That's human love. The love of God, which comes through the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, it never fails. Yeah, I might get angry, but boy, that love of God will stop that anger right now and say, wait a minute, I don't want to hurt this person that I love. Don't love in word or in tongue or just say you lie, just say you love me. Yeah, we like to hear the word, I love you, I love you. Yeah, that's good, but we need to show it. We need to show it in big ways and we need to show it in little ways to those whom you love. Surprise somebody this week that you love in some way doing something for them that they would never guess you would do. Show them that you love them. So John tweets out, do not sin. When you sin, people are hurt. People die. The devil is honored and Christ is betrayed. Love one another. Do what's right. People are cared for. People thrive. God is honored. Christ is honored. And the church flourishes. It's a tough subject. Sin. It's our weakness and has been from the beginning. John says don't sin. Let's work harder. Let's strive. Let's fight against the evil one. Choose to live righteously. And choose to love as God has loved us. We close out as always offering a 
invitation. If anyone has been so moved by the word of God and you want to respond this morning, for, first of all, for prayer uh, in your life, maybe you have some sin that's going on, you just cannot get rid of it. Somebody you can't forgive. Somebody uh, that has hurt you and, wow, you still, still carry that in your heart. Or something that you're just so caught up in right now that's like, wow, can I ever get out of it? Jesus can help you get out of it, but you've got to want to. So if you need prayer this morning for any reason, we're here to pray with you, pray for you. If you want to obey the gospel today, we can assist you with that to become a servant of the Lord Jesus and have this hope for life eternal, the promise that he makes to us for those who are his. However you might want to serve the Lord this morning, please come while we stand and sing.